This is TV Podcast Industries, and we're talking about Shogun Chapter One, Anjin. There's a saying out here that every man has three hearts. One in his mouth for the world to know. Another in his chest, just for his friends. And a secret heart, buried deep, where no one can find it. That is a heart a man must keep hidden if he wants to survive. Welcome, fellow warriors, to TV Podcast Industries. This is our Shogun podcast, where we are delving into chapter one of this 10-episode series. I am one of your hosts, John. And I'm your other host, Derek. John, it's our 10th anniversary podcast. This is. Officially. We have just turned 10 in uh, in uh, years of podcasting. That is true, podcast actually. Yeah. And who would have thought that we'd be podcasting about 17th century Japan? I know. First, and not Gotham City. I know. I know. First <laughs> time we've been do, done anything like this, really. Um, doing a historical epic like Shogun. And I never thought um, we'd be covering a show like this at all. No, I wouldn't have expected that we would do this either. I know um, we're both big fans, though, of Japanese uh, Well, that's it, exactly. Movies and TV shows and all that kind of stuff, yeah. I feel at this present moment in time, I am probably like that person who is not British but loves British period dramas. Oh, right, well. okay, yeah, yeah. But it's the other side of the fence here. Right. But I would say... Yes, this is period, but it's period historical. Mm. Whereas half the stuff going on um, in British period costume dramas is completely fictitious because it's either the crown. Okay. <laughs> well, that's even that's just royalty. But I mean, it's like Jane Austen or right. something like that. Right. It, you know, or British so, and her. Yeah, exactly. Right. right. But to me, the history here is much more sort of exciting, intriguing. That it it's sort of framed around this mm -hmm. this drama yeah um and of course you know really interesting that a lot of the characters in here are based on real historical figures yeah. they have different names but are based on historical figures of that time yes uh, and of course we will try our very very best and mm -hmm. um, to uh pronounce the names correctly but Yes. Yeah, it might be difficult for um for us. John Blackthorne, I know, is very difficult to pronounce. <laughs> I think that'll be the only one we we um won't have that much problem with. I and I don't think we'll have a problem with the major uh sort of characters yeah. here. It, it's more the the one I'm struggling with at the moment mm -hmm. is Yabashiga. I think. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think that's how it's pronounced, but. It's also just the fact that even with one of the other main characters mm -hmm. in in terms of uh, Lord Yoshi Taranaga, yep. I've also been pronouncing that as Tarangu. Okay. And That's stuff like right. that. No, yeah. exactly. So, <laughs> it, But that's just, anyway, we'll get there. Look, we'll do it. 
We will. I have faith. We will, absolutely. But I, I would say this is very similar to when we've been covering uh, some of the sh- shows that have been based on books that we've read in the past where we... Like read... Wheel of Time. Exactly. Yeah. Where we or read... Lord of the Rings, where you're kind of going, well, I've always pronounced it like this. Exactly. But we're reading it off the screen because, you know, a lot of the characters are speaking in Japanese to each other and we're reading the subtitles and it's very difficult to catch how the, they're pronouncing the names as well. So we're going to do our best. Yep. But... I hope that doesn't spoil the enjoyment of the podcast and how we how we discuss uh, the episode of the show. Uh, I know Shogun itself was a massive property when I was a kid. I think everybody, every parent yeah. I know, had the book Shogun on their shelf. That at home. I remember. Um, yeah, and then, I remember the book. Yeah, and yeah. I also remember as a very young kid sitting down with my mom uh, watching the Richard Chamberlain uh, version of the uh, miniseries of Shogun, which came out in 1980, but we are based in yeah. Ireland, um, so we probably got it in about 1984 or 85. <laughs> I don't think it went live with the US at the same time, but I absolutely remember my mom's love for this, and I'm sure yeah. in the back of my mind <laughs> this show uh, monkey which was another yeah. massive show at the time all of that led to my love of japanese culture and of, of uh, Eastern well i think culture. you're right because I, mean, I remember this show mm-hmm. um for sure i absolutely remember the james clavell books mm-hmm. hanging around the bookshelf in, in my ha- home um i've never read the book yep because it was just one of those books that you know as a f- i don't know a 10 year old it's like that one book is the same as the three lords of the ring books put together mm-hmm. you know I, yeah. you need a lectern to yeah. read it and then i realized that there is another book yeah. as well yeah um, multiple books in so series, remember yeah. that the, remember there was sumo wrestling was on channel four that's right back yeah. in the 80s i remember yeah. watching that as well yeah. like like america it was so good I had american football and sumo wrestling there you and, go. and it was just like it was really interesting. Yeah. You know, um, it, it felt vibrant, di- yeah. these different sports. I mean, certainly sumo. Uh-huh. Um, it was so, so different from anything. But, you know, linked into, I guess, the love of seeing also wrestling. Mm-hmm. I know it's not technically <laughs> wrestling, but it's yeah. the closest I can kind of equate to it. I get it. And, yeah. and then WWF as of well. Of course, yeah. Um, so... <laughs> Because by wrestling, there are two types. There's WWF, and then there was the Saturday League in the UK mm-hmm. with, like, Giant Haystacks yeah. and Big Daddy. And Big Daddy, and so of course, yes. Uh, where it was more um, ripples of fat rather than ripples of muscle, <laughs> exactly. shall we say. Yeah, exactly. Very, um, very, very different. So actually, uh, more akin to sumo, even though they're highly skilled, you know, yeah. the, not the definition of sort of a modern american wwe well absolutely absolutely but to get back to shogun i suppose our kind of of love for japanese stuff particularly over the last couple of years has been um there's been a lot of great uh japanese um set dramas and lots of great uh, games in fact i think uh ghost tsushima which we played through twice on the playstation absolutely loved and talks a lot about the culture and a lot about uh the um the society that was going on. I know uh, that that was a fantastic game to play through. Highly recommend that. Uh, we also watched Blue-Eyed Samurai at yeah. the end of 2023, which we absolutely loved, which is set in the same period. Very ultra-violent, uh, almost like a Kill Bill style uh, drama set or uh, animated drama yeah. set in uh, the most animated Japan. willies you'll ever see <laughs> that um, is true, at least yes. for 2024 <laughs> yes. to, to date yes yes definitely um, definitely and and that kind of makes sense because 
even like we see here in this, um, you know, first two episodes of Shogun, the the idea of the courtesan, mm-hmm. uh, really important uh, element here. Yeah, in the varying courts, but also just in the in the societies and villages and communities around Japan. Yeah. So, um, yeah, you know. There's a similarity there. I definitely advise any of our fellow warriors who are listening in to watch uh, Blue-Eyed Samurai as well. Really yeah. good uh, animation. And yeah, similar vein to this set around the similar time. Yep. Um, around that sort of meeting of East and West mm-hmm. um, in Japan. Yep. And uh, yeah, really, really good. Yeah. Yeah, one last kind of thing I I want to say about about why we're covering uh, Shogun or, or what's interesting about covering Shogun. We cover tons of shows in TV podcast industry. I think at last count, it's about sixty two shows that we've covered uh, over the course of the years. Yeah. Uh, not sure if that's exactly accurate, but we've done a lot, and um, and we choose shows that we really like and choose that shows that we're interested in, and sometimes something that's completely out of left field like this, something that's very different for us. I feel there's been such a long time since we've seen this kind of epic. TV show that isn't fantasy based. You yeah. know, something like Lord of the Rings and Wheel of Time are fantasy novels. Absolutely. This, of course, isn't historical. It is historical fiction, but it does have that epic feel of a kind of a show that we would have seen when we were young in, in the 80s and 90s. There used to be a lot more of these epic miniseries or series uh, on TV where loads of big budget are going in to tell a historical drama. So it feels like something that we haven't seen in a very long time on TV. Definitely. To cover. So uh, I'm really excited to go into it. We will say up front, we did get um, screeners for these uh, for the first eight episodes of Shogun. We've watched about four or five of them. Part of that was to make sure this was definitely going to be a show that we want to cover each week uh, as it comes out on TV Podcast Industries. So um, there will be two f- episodes that we'll cover on this uh, this week's podcast. And then from next week onwards, it's one episode per week uh, coming out on Disney Plus or Hulu um, or FX, uh, wherever you wherever you get access to it. Um, it'll be available each week from now on until uh, going into May. Yes, absolutely. Uh, before we get into our spoiler-filled discussion of chapter one of Shogun Anjin. Um, a quick uh, recap for our new fellow warriors, mm-hmm. or if you're coming from some of our other podcasts, uh, you'll know this drill off by heart at Certainly this stage. Will. But if you are new to the podcast, fellow warriors, please pop on over to our website at tvpodcastindustries.com where you can subscribe to the podcast on any good or evil podcast player of your choice. Mm-hmm. You can also le- go to the website to leave a voicemail for feedback. We love feedback uh, and so we will have our feedback section uh, for all thoughts theories comments observations viewpoints um on all things to do with the 10 episode series mm-hmm. of shogun so you can leave a voicemail over on our website or you can send in an email to feedback at tvpodcastindustries.com or you can head on over to our facebook group at facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash TV podcast industries. Absolutely, yeah. I'll have a spoiler post up there each week for the episodes as they come out and you can talk to other fellow warriors uh, who are watching along. I know lots of our uh, listeners are very excited about us covering Shogun. So uh, hopefully you're going to be following along every week with us here on TV Podcast Industries. Absolutely. So Derek, what are some of the episode details for this first episode, Anjin? Well, mentioned already, uh, this is based on the 1975 novel by James Clavell uh, of the same name, Shogun. 
The writers and creator for this show are Rachel Kondo and Justin Marks, a husband and wife team uh, who are the Excellent. writing partners for this show. Um, Justin Marks was one of the writers on Top Gun Maverick. John. Yeah, interesting. Yes. Yeah, really interesting. Big budget. Absolutely. Big bang. Billion that. dollar yeah, yeah, movie really that good. nobody thought would be successful. Definitely. At yeah. all. Um, but was fantastic on screen. Um, uh, an epic in its own way. Yeah. Uh, definitely. Uh, this episode was directed by Jonathan Van Tulliken. Uh, he directed two episodes of Upload on, t- on, f- oh, on Prime Video, yeah. interestingly, uh, and also directed and executive produced The Changeling. He has directed the entire season two of the critically acclaimed Top Boy and oh, yeah. the TV series Misfits as well, John. So, Channel 4. Yeah. Wow, yeah so very varied credits there yeah for jonathan yeah excellent and he also directs the second episode of the season well i really like his sensibility Mm. uh for this show and i mean i think in any case just like the whole um the whole thing just feels so luxurious and and so on and authentic and just how the the production of it is just really really good you mm-hmm. know yeah um, so yeah excellent stuff yeah, without a doubt and uh, we are going to talk about the two episodes separately chapter one and chapter two um uh, throughout the podcast we're going to start off with chapter one so john do you want to give the quick synopsis for chapter one of shogun anjin sure destinies converge in japan after a barbarian ship washes ashore in a poor fishing village Meanwhile, in Osaka, Lord Toronaga finds himself outplayed by his enemies. Short and sweet. Absolutely. Yep. Um, short and sweet indeed. I mean, I think at the end of the day, you know, it is that kind of simple. Mm. Um, I think, you know, one of the big things here is, you know, it is obviously this clash of cultures. Yeah. Um, you know, in terms of East and West mm. and everything that is going on there. I mean, I think the other really nice complicating fact of this is the introspective mindset of Japan. Um, or at least people in Japan, you know, mm-hmm. they haven't necessarily gone, um, across the waves in the same way that the Spanish, the Portuguese, the British have done in that yeah. kind of, you know, quote, swashbuckling, or at least not mm. westwards. Absolutely. But they've gone towards Korea, they've gone towards China mm-hmm. and so on. Um, but the, you know, you get this sense here from, um, John Blackthorne, you know, that they've been hidden because yeah. the, the lovely complicating factor here is not just that it's East meets West. Mm-hmm. It's the fact that West and in a sense, East as well, West is split into factions of mm-hmm. Catholic and Protestant. Yeah. And indeed, you know, with Japan, you have this new Christian faith coming into, you know, ultimately, um, religion there that is much more nature based mm-hmm. in terms of shinto uh, yes. as being one of the you know older religions mm-hmm. so you know the these kind of different factions as well as then the big clash of east uh, um, and west yeah you know yeah and um, and you know what are the differences where are the common threads mm-hmm. that you know, mean that you become an ally or not, you know? Yeah. So uh, this is just really fascinating. Absolutely. Um, it's so interesting, isn't it? And I think that one of the big things that makes this story stand out um, and, and the you know, the, those clashes of culture stand out is that we have a very advanced society here in Japan uh, and people from the West coming in and, you know, what they would have done in other, in other countries 
the story that they tell is that it's a savage nation. They come in, they kill them all, take over the country, and now it's their country. They can't do that in Japan. They can't walk into Japan with a couple of ships and take it over effectively. It's a very different clash of cultures. It's a whole entire society that is very well developed. may not develop in the same way as the West, but it is very advanced and very well capable of dealing with what the West has to offer. So it's interesting that the machinations that they have to use, and we'll talk about them as we go through our points, but the machinations that they use is a lot of of deception, uh, hiding their true motives from the Japanese so they can extract what they want out of them rather than them taking over Japan, uh, which feels very different. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, the, the, there was an interesting book about sort of, I guess, at least in terms of the expansive supremacy of, say, Western Europe, mm. as opposed to, you know, these big civilizations like China, Japan, even sort of the Mesoamericans, mm-hmm. um, which is um, and t- is by Jared Diamond called Guns, Germs, and Steel. Mm. And, you know, one of the underlying things here is that, you know, um, they're not necessarily new, but they're recent right. into Japan. Um, you know, it, it's the, it's the point that Japan, China had things like fireworks, gunpowder mm-hmm. way before. Uh, Western Europe. Yeah. But it was the, the production and the use of that technology mm. to make a musket or a cannon and yeah. so on. Um, I the, prefer the fireworks personally. No, well, no, exactly. <laughs> you know, it, it's that kind of the, the technological advance or innovation mm-hmm. in which direction it went and for what, for what reason. Yeah. And Jared Diamond explores that sort of in guns, germs and, uh, and steel. Very good. Um, and, and it's the same way that, you know, you kind of get the, the feeling sort of in this episode as well, the difference in the type of boats that, mm. um, one can effectively, you know, much more adept, not necessarily perfect, but mm-hmm. much more adept at going across massive oceans yes. in terms of the North, South Atlantic, mm-hmm. across the Pacific. Okay, they're almost at death's door, but nonetheless, yeah, just a bit. Um, yeah. you know, but then you see later in this episode, mm-hmm. one of the Japanese galleons struggling very close and still using oars, you know, yes. um, which can prove difficult on the high seas. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, it's kind of interesting and and so on. Yeah. But I think that brings us to our um, top Bushido that we will have for um, our coverage yeah. of Shogun. And this is the way we cover our, all of our episodes, all of our all the shows that we cover. We choose our major points uh, to talk about from the episodes uh, to kind of make sure that we kind of Talk around all the big moments within the episode. And this time, because uh, we're in Japan, we're going to be calling these our Bushido. Yes. So let us get on to Bushido number one. Mm-hmm. The arrival of the Erasmus. Two worlds collide. Mm. So like kind of almost a little bit sort of ghost shippy. Um, big time. We have the arrival of this Dutch merchant or dutch ship yes <laughs> it's not as such a, a merchant ship that's what they would like you to think they uh-huh. are but a dutch ship the erasmus and um, most of the crew are either dead or lost we see the captain of the erasmus kill himself yeah. with a pistol to the head because he believes that they're never going to find japan yeah and was that captain was that a haster from good omens john 
Yes, I think it was. It was yes, it? Ned Denny. Yes. yes. Yeah. Cool to um, see him in here. Another yeah, show that we've covered. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, but, you know, this is all, um, this is all fairly um, sort of desperate. You know, there's people, they, they're dead. They've starved to death. They've oh, I was got... looking at the numbers and it was basically this. They left um, with five ships and over 500 men. And yeah. they're down to the last dozen is what Blackthorn is telling the captain. He's like, there's a dozen men that are depending on you. He's like, we're out in the ocean. We've lost four ships and over basically 500 people. There's nothing I could do here. Yeah. What are they depending on me for? You know, you know, and it is, yeah. it's literally that kind of physical embodiment of two worlds colliding mm. as it's brought ashore land, you know, it runs aground in Japan yeah. and you have, um, the, the, the local, soldiers militia whatever coming to investigate and, and, and just taking that was filmed as well yeah, yeah. it's cool as, as they all lined up on the shore to see this mysterious ship come uh, exactly come from it, the fog basically you know yeah. it's it's the, the different carvings mm -hmm. the the motifs of the symbolism on the galley yeah um you know and you, it contrasts with the way their galleys are done and exactly. all this kind of stuff. So again, it's this, it's that physical embodiment of these two worlds uh, colliding, but, uh, and it's seen and it's effectively captured by the, the local fishing village of Ajiro, mm -hmm. uh, where you have, um, uh, Lord Yabashiga is over this, this province yeah and um, this prefecture um and it's his nephew kashagi omi um is the leader the the ruler of this village yes um, yes yeah so i uh, this is this is like something just fell in his lap exactly. out, of, out of the sky like it, you it's hear aliens yeah but you, you also know? hear that lord yabashiga his uncle has not visited the, the town at all it's a small fishing village of no particular interest yeah. to the to the local lord and here he is now in power in 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 this town kashigi um taking over from his father who's passed away a year before and here he is with this foreign ship suddenly on his shores and now this could be his play within uh the society to get more land we we even hear from uh lord uh, yabashiga when he arrives um i will increase your territory effectively for yeah. for this tribute because uh, he believes this is a way for him to get more power so everybody's uh, on the ladder and this could be this ship arriving uh, could be the next rung in that ladder to get them more power absolutely yeah. i think um you know you you see through the course of this episode that uh, Yabushiga's nephew is a clever guy. You mm -hmm. know, he realizes the importance of this ship as a trophy, but ultimately of greater importance are, are, are the cargo that mm -hmm. it carries um, uh, in, in, in a time of uncertainty. Mm -hmm. Little does he realize, and it's interesting that, you know, the, you see one of the villagers um, viewing, uh, you know, fixing eyes on the Erasmus for the first time and mm -hmm. immediately lifts a cross from his, around his neck and, yes. and, and kisses it almost like sort of a, an introspective prayer mm -hmm. about, you know, help me, you know, with the arrival of this, this uh, ship. So it's... You know, Christianity is here in Japan mm -hmm. at this moment. European men are not 
new, but they're certainly rare. Absolutely. You know? Yeah. And um it's just really, really good because you have then this lovely sequence where John Blackthorne is brought uh, aboard with the remaining crew that are, that are alive. And effectively, you have these different cultures, but you have John Blackthorne believing that the Japanese are savages mm-hmm. and you have the Japanese believing that these Europeans are barbarians exactly. or pirates. Or, and yeah. there's this lovely interchange between the two cultures about mm-hmm. th- effectively saying you're savage yeah uh, you're a barbarian you know and each of them it it interchanges between the two of them because from each other's perspective when they can't understand a word that the other's saying from each perspective one's a barbarian and one's a savage so i really liked how they played with that and then add to the mix which is again another really cool choice uh, and i'm sure this was in the original novel i'm sure that's this is how it played out as well but adding to it that the only person that could possibly help in the translation is the local priest who is Portuguese and Catholic, speaking to Protestant John Blackthorne, uh, trying to translate his words, but not trying very hard because... They're enemies. Because they're enemies, exactly. Yeah, exactly. So, it, it's the geopolitics of Catholic and Protestant forces mm, bringing their battle, exactly. their war, from Europe into proxy ones all over the world where you know but what we you know what we learn here from the opening of shogun here is you know the year is 1600 the mm-hmm. portuguese have profited from trade with japan hugely uh-huh. but they have kept it secret from european protestants mm-hmm. you know and in osaka that the reigning taiko um sort of ruler over um, all the lords of of Japan has died, and you know you have the politics of the Japanese court beginning to play out because yes. this his his heir is too young for the role, and so you have these five warrior lords and the politics at play there. So it's those politics coupled to this layering of the Portuguese, mm-hmm. and it's just really, really interesting. And I think what's really good is, you know, we say two worlds collide. They don't understand a word yes. of one another, yeah. but they also kind of do to some extent, whether it's because of how they intone what they say mm-hmm. or they're just gesticulation so we do have this wonderful moment where john blackthorne is kind of giving uh, everything he can to say you know get your hands off me you savage or you know and he grabs his crotch Mm -hmm. you know he says i'll piss all over your country Mm -hmm. and kashigi sees him grabbing his crotch Mm -hmm. this gesticulation and just push it gets his soldiers to push him down on the floor as he then urinates all over him yeah you know and yeah. he's it's, it's almost like what was he saying he was going to urinate on me you know yeah. what what's the insult here that he's, he's not just in power done? here either so and yeah. um, so my insult back is i'm going to do that and exactly. then it's like they're savage you yeah. know or he's a barbarian or what and it's yeah. a really great interplay um and i think you know again it plays out with these different cultures because mm-hmm. we have one of the um more shocking moments here when lord um yabushiga arrives here and you have his nephew trying to impress him with his find as you say mm-hmm. he has John Blackthorne come up to him, uh, brought to Yabushiga, uh, who's then 
um, is is being translated by a Catholic priest, as you say. Yeah. But he then, effectively, the Catholic priest here is trying to get him executed. Yes. But Yabashiga seems to have just sort of taken a fancy to, I guess, the cut of his jib, his, you know, <laughs> in, in a sense. I think it's also that Yabashiga doesn't trust the Catholics. Yeah, the, 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 exactly. Yeah, I think he has no particular respect. And maybe maybe for this particular priest, I think. Yeah. I think he doesn't like him at all. And he knows he must be lying in the way that John Blackthorne's carrying himself and the way that the priest is trying to get across his yeah. point of view and not translate what John's saying. I think, uh, Gabashiga is, is kind of going, hang on a second. I'm not going to execute anyone on your orders. I need to know more about this man. Uh, it gives him his own quarters, but then kind of does something really unusual here with the rest of the crew. Um, yeah. Well, te- that, that's uh, the shocking, you know, it, yeah. it, it, this is one where it's like becomes, you know, the, the shocking, difference and i mean but it's not in a sense in mm. a sense and the idea that you know a medieval or even um a, a lord of that time somewhere in europe didn't boil someone alive mm-hmm. or hung drawn quarters or whatever yeah. i mean any kind of method in a sense is is grotesque yeah. but you have here um you know in his place, someone else will be, one of his crew will be executed uh, and in my own special way, mm-hmm. he kind of says, which yeah. is he's boiled alive. And it's almost like he's trying to, you see him then meditating as he hears the screams of this Dutch crewman mm-hmm. um, uh, screaming as the water boils mm-hmm. and he's in the pot bound. Uh, and in the end, effectively, is headbutting the side of the pot to kill himself. Yeah. And um, but it's almost as though uh, Yavashiga is trying to sort of obtain something yeah. from the last gasp of this Dutchman dying. That there mm-hmm. would be something he can learn, absorb, take on board as yeah. to pain warfare that man you know that he there was something he can learn from it so really kind of interesting really well whilst yeah. also being brutal absolutely but it, but it's, it's also referred to uh later on when they when other people are discussing it in the village and they say that this is something that he does quite often it's not the method of death it's not specifically boiling people alive it's that he kills people and tries to find out some insight in their last moments in their last words and almost putting down the crewman who's been boiled alive he says he died inarticulately so again this um, tests that he does to try and find some insight into the afterlife or into the final moments of people alive has failed but it doesn't mean he's going to stop and it doesn't mean he's not going to do it again it's you know it's it's just it's kind of this is my thing I test people uh, at that point of death and hopefully I learn something about uh, that other people wouldn't learn I suppose uh, which was quite um, quite brutal but it but intriguing about his character. And yeah, also a very unusual moment with the courtesan coming in and offering herself to Lord uh, Yabushiga and then ends off pleasuring his right-hand man in the same room. Uh, well, absolutely. As the Lord and him. Yeah, really stop. interesting yeah. as Yabushiga's aid um, is the one being seduced by the courtesan. Mm-hmm. Um, and he is happy. Again, it's almost like he watches to learn to understand. I mean, exactly. she asks him, is it okay for me to continue? Yeah. 
but then he does. I mean, it's interesting who this courtesan is and whether there's something more to her. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, because we we hear that... Um, and I, I guess this would bring us on to uh, Bushido 2 to okay. some extent, yep. which yep. is, um, at least in my mind, which is Osaka Castle uh-huh. uh, and the politics of the court. The thing is... Yabushiba's prize, his nephew's prize of this ship, its weaponry, its guns, mm-hmm. is not secret for very long. I, I as Yabushiba kind of uh, berates his nephew, mm-hmm. you have a spy in your village, you know, because yeah. we have the arrival of um, Lord Taranaga's um, right-hand man, Hiramatsu. Yes, we do. And... I don't know. There's just something about the courtesan that suggests maybe also that she could be a spy right. of some description. Yeah. And it is the politics of the court. You know, Yabushige is a lord that is loyal to uh, Taranaga. Mm-hmm. But then you have these other, far, other four warrior lords uh, and their own sort of kingdoms or fiefdoms um mm-hmm. you know or areas of of, of authority here yes. and they can bestow more land less land uh-huh. harsh uh, punishments whatever it is so you know it there's a real sense of um all the walls have eyes a bit i find absolutely um, absolutely and again you know that's the that's the what Game of Thrones was taking its yeah. idea from, and again in a fantasy setting, you know, here much more real world. But this is the element of the story that makes Shogun fascinating. This part about the the politics that are going on in the central region of uh, of of Japan and in, in Osaka, um, everything that's going on here, the storyline that's happening here, and and where we find the entire country of Japan in balance is on the shoulders of these five people. Um, yeah, the council of the regent. Exactly, yeah. exactly. You mentioned earlier on about the, the death of uh, of the reigning Taiko, the reigning leader of the country. He was sole leader, and he's the one that made the decision upon his death that he would create this council of regents, which includes Lord Taranaga and four other regents who are supposed to be working together to... Uh, control the the whole country of Japan until the heir comes of age and gets to take over. But they're very uh, strange bedfellows. They don't trust each other. And certainly Absolutely. Uh, one of the things I really like about the introduction of Lord Taranaga, who's one of the major characters in this show, probably the major character in this show, John Blackthorn's our way in to the story. Yeah. But I think the major character here is Lord Taranaga. And our introduction to him is with his right-hand man, Hiramatsu, as the two of them like old warriors are going, oh, here we go again. We need to manage the expectations here of what's going on through the Council of Regions. We have to make sure we play our part the way we have to play it around them and don't lose our heads or, or everything else. Well, that, that's you know? it. it. It is, um, you know, it's these five warrior lords that in a way to suppress a struggle to seek title and power in that vacuum after the Tycho's death mm-hmm. and in a sense the the youth of the heir so it's also to preserve his heir make sure that the heir isn't killed and, mm. and assassinated yeah and um, the the dying Tycho has effectively set up this council uh, which just 
induces stalemate on these five opposing mm-hmm. warrior uh, lords. And, and the heir's very young. Yes. The heir's, you know, 10 or 11 years old. So it's going to be quite a few years that these five will have to work together. Yeah. And keep the air alive. <laughs> exactly. It's a, it's a tough ask. And so yeah. what we find here is, um, you know, Taranaga has been summoned to Osaka Castle, mm-hmm. um, being accused of building up power against the wishes of the late Taiko, uh, by increasing, um, the, the holdings of his land. And he's been accused of taking Lady Oshiba, mm-hmm. um, the, the heir's mother as a hostage at his, um, palace in Edo. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, they're, they're concerned, you know, with his six marriages, increasing his fief, um, that he's there trying to usurp the heir. Yeah. Um, and, I, it, I love the conversation yeah. between the two of them. I really it was really them. good because yeah. they're like saying we're trapped by bureaucrats who want us dead. It's uh-huh. like it feels like they are the warriors. Yeah, that they would pick up, you know, um, a samurai sword at the drop of a hat. Yeah, and um, this katana, this blade, and um, and and yet the others are like feel like bureaucrats. There is a really great moment. I, don't, I can't remember now whether it's this episode or the the following episode where um, Lord Ishido, who is accusing Toranaga of building up this power, mm-hmm. is stamping orders. Yeah. And there's this moment where he just stops and he realizes that for the first time he's seen or he views himself th- almost through the eyes and the way that Toranaga will see him as just administrators going through the rhythm. And yet he's also been a general we find in the war in Korea. So like, it's just really interesting, but ultimately there is this political balancing act and and Toranaga is having to be quite delicate here. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, he ultimately says he'll return, uh, Lady Oshiba, um, but it's all under the penalty of impeachment, and it is for his rivals to remove him from the board that he will be uh, impeached mm-hmm. from the Council of Regents, and he, you know, he becomes this prisoner to his enemies on the council and more than likely then will be killed by his enemies and exactly. put to death. And yeah. so And if he's gone, then she's gone, then the heir's gone, yeah. and then all of the plans that the psycho left behind are gone. Um and one of the things I really like about it, the explanation for why um the heir's mother is there is because it's her sister giving birth. He's married to her sister. Her sister's at uh, yeah. at, at his hometown. Um so that's all the explanation he gives, and it's a very simple explanation. There's no particular reason why this would cause any major hassle uh, in in the city. Um, but he is also using her as a shield. He is also using her for protection for himself as well. But he's explaining it in a very natural way. Of course, she would come to my yeah. hometown when her sister's uh, going to be giving birth. That all that all makes sense. But it is true 
bureaucracy will get you get you just as quick as a bullet. You know, look at look at look at Al, <laughs> look at Al Capone. That's how he yeah. went to bureaucracy, yeah. the not the bullets, man. right? Exactly so, the tax yeah. man. The other interesting thing that or dynamic that comes out as well with this group is that Lord uh, Taranaga. Um, not only well, the interesting snippet is these the Lord of Edo, which mm-hmm. is. Um, which is now modern day Tokyo. That's right. So it becomes a pretty important place. Mm-hmm. Um, but secondly, that he, his family bloodline is, is Minowaran. Um, he's a Minowara, uh, bloodline. And we get from one of it's, I, I was going to say a nanny who looks <laughs> after the, the, um, the young heir, but I don't know whether it is a nanny. It's certainly, it's almost like his teacher and lady in waiting. Right. You know, that kind of thing. Yeah. But more than that, because she educates him. I thought that was his grandmother, but. Or it, it could yeah. be his yeah. grandmother. Um, well, nanny. Yeah. Is nanny or is. is, is <laughs> yeah, as we've got. Yeah, yeah. Uh, just, you know, warns, uh, Taranaga, you know, that it's that Minowara bloodline mm-hmm. is what puts the fear into the, this council. Mm-hmm. Um, because of its, it, its links to the shogunate and yes. being that supreme leader. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, Taranaga kind of says he doesn't want that. Yeah. But it's interesting because. We do kind of get this moment where she warns him that, you know, they will kill the air and there will be these dark days again, you know, and it's, she says it's like a tree and the support of the branches mm. by a stake and so on. Um, this is the same. Toranaga, um, is like that support to the air as this young tree, this young sapling mm-hmm. that needs to find its shape. And he is, um, you know, this is the metaphor. Um, as she says, what happens when that support goes? Exactly. Um, it goes misshapen. It doesn't develop in the way that you want them to. So like, mm-hmm. it's kind of really interesting sort of politics going on in this court and it i mean it's so delicate as well in that that opening scene where taranaga is the speaking with the shido and the rest of the the regents um and you have one of taranaga's men who is angered by the insults being given towards his lord that he is in a sense, being traitorous and building yeah. up this power, and he interrupts, and ultimately, um, you have yeah. this other sort of really big moment of him asking for seppuku, um, mm-hmm. which, you know, as it transpires, I, I'd kind of forgotten what this was, but um, you know, and the guy's wife is not very happy because effectively this can end his entire bloodline his family line and um, yes so he asks for seppuku this is um this is uh tadayoshi who um who interrupts the the conversation between the yeah. uh, the, the council of regents which you absolutely do not do you, you can see from the way it's all laid out they can't cross the threshold into that room unless invited to speak to the regents really and so he crosses the threshold because of the slight and then asks for seppuku which would be traditionally him taking his own life for his dishonor um but here they make an agreement that he gets to live and his wife gets to live 
because he's the son-in-law of Hiramatsu and his his daughter is uh, is his strongest most uh, loved member of his family so they make the arrangement that they don't um that he doesn't die that he will kill his child and they will never have any other children thus ending his bloodline yeah. so it's seen in some ways as a mercy from uh Lord Taranaga but from the from his wife's point of view, from uh, Teriyashi's wife's point of view, this is the worst thing that can happen to her. She oh, has to watch as her child dies and is being told she can never have any more children. So her purpose has been taken away from this slight that her, her husband made absolutely. Uh, at court. Yeah. And this is where we get also introduced to his wife, but also we get uh, introduced to Mariko yes. as well. As she tries to reason with Teriyashi's wife, yes. you know, that, this is a mercy. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you kind of get the sense she has been through a similar journey mm-hmm. here as well. Um, with her own family, uh, with her father. And she's trying to sort of give, uh, Tadayoshi's wife, um, almost this logic, this reason as to it's not the end of the world. You'll still have purpose and honor yeah. and so on by doing or the stuff in the service of your lord, mm-hmm. uh, Taranaga, you know, and yeah. it feels like she's in that similar kind of position because of something her father has done, mm. you know. Um, so it's really intriguing. Uh, it's really interesting yeah. because it feels like, you know, then they're almost then it's they're imposed where they are. There's an imposition for them in that role, yeah, uh, because of how they're it's almost boxed in absolutely um, yeah. and but, th- this but i think fascinating. She, she's a character that definitely is going to be a central character for the yeah. show i think the way she straddles all the different sides of what's going on she's at court but not part of court because she's not male she's um a, a catholic um who has her strong religious beliefs and that's going um going against in some ways the beliefs of uh, of Lord Taranaga and the other the other members of the court as well so she's going to be an interesting point of view character to see how she plays into the rest of the story yeah, as well absolutely yeah, yeah. um shall we get into Bushido number 3 yeah our final our final point uh, of the episode the journey to Osaka so we we mentioned earlier on about Hiramatsu coming to Ajiro uh, uh, confiscating the ship and bringing <laughs> um, bringing John Blackthorne with him back to Osaka uh, I I did really like this you know this idea uh, that he's again how <laughs> he's measuring his words with um lord yabashiga who believes this might be his rung on the ladder but also believes he can keep the weapons for himself and use them well, in a potential fight if something does happen uh, to our lord taranaga then i have the ability to uh, to go into a battle using these weapons but no instantly we have hiramatsu going thank you so much for your tribute <laughs> kind of well, thing that's yeah. it and but it's even it comes straight after the sort of you know, the scheming and the plotting between mm-hmm. uh, Yabashiga and his nephew, Kashagi. Yeah. Um, and it's like the rug is pulled from Kashagi's uh, feet because we actually have his uncle saying, oh, my brother never said that you were as clever as you were. Exactly. And, you know, he, he's been really thoughtful, yeah. thinking of how they could be of use for them, you know, for himself personally, but for them more generally, so mm-hmm. that both gain from this kind of lucky landing of this ship. It's like a lottery win yeah, for ex- Kashigi. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and then you can see him bristle because, yeah, Hiramatsu has arrived and says, uh, 
like I've confiscated the ship mm-hmm. uh, and its cargo. Lord Yabushiga of Iza, you must now also come back to Osaka with mm-hmm. John Blackthorne. Yep. Out of the frying pan into the fire exactly. here for Lord uh, Yabashiga. Yeah. You know, I really like that. I, I, it's also interesting that we have, you know, Taranaga wanting to bring this Westerner mm-hmm. to the royal court in a second. Yes, well. it is. Absolutely. You know, really interesting kind of politics at play here. Let's talk a little bit about John Blackthorne here as well, because, you know, as I say, he is kind of our point of view character to begin with. And I, I do think they're doing a great job of it not just being the point of view of the Westerner coming into the East. We're getting loads of great story and great setup for what's going on in, in Japan and, and what's the, the setup of everything that's going there. But particularly on John Blackthorne, what we find out in his conversations with his crewmates is they're not a merchant ship. No. There is one book that can condemn them all to death, effectively, the rushers, as he calls it, yeah. which is the detailed plan and detailed instructions that came from the government when they were sending them over to Japan. They knew where they were going. They haven't just washed up randomly in Japan. They may not have washed up on exactly the shores they thought they were going to wash up on, but they had a plan. And if those plans are found out, he will absolutely be put to death as well as his crewmen. So part of what John Blackthorne has to do is try and keep people away from those plans, because if anybody finds out, he's uh, he's in a very dangerous position. Well, and in particular, the Catholic representation that are here um, in in Japan, which I think. Uh, from episode two are the Jesuits. It's yes. the Jesuits order that are primarily there. And um, uh, as the representatives of Portugal, uh-huh. you know, it's not to say that there aren't other orders there, but they are kind of like, they are the ones sort of seemingly representing Portugal yeah. as much as the Jesuit order. So, And they're certainly John's biggest enemies yeah. as well. And yeah. so, yes, the, the, these orders are, you know, linked to sort of going through the Magellan Strait to mm-hmm. get, have another way to get to the East, um, you know, mm-hmm. to go the other way around the globe. Exactly. exactly. Um, so, it's it's really kind of interesting then that this this person is asked to come to Osaka um, and uh, come to um, the the court of Lord Taranaku, mm-hmm. and we we have Taranaku asking Miriko to translate. You know, he trusts her to translate honestly, but he asks. You know, he questions would she, um, because she. She follows the Christian faith and she goes, Mm -hmm. actually, yes, it would conflict if I was only Christian. I have two hearts, Um, you know, and this I think that is like the really interesting thing here. Yes, she was a cross. She practices Christianity, but she is also Japanese. Exactly. And she has been brought up in that tradition. Yeah. And so, you know, in a sense... She knows her loyalty has to to stand with... uh, with And and you're there going, you know, it it is the loyalty Mm -hmm. to her lord in, in Taranagu, but it's also that idea of, you know the broadening the widening the encompassing of you know 
fiefs and, and yeah. so on into a concept of a nation as well exactly you know? yeah, yeah which the, i think they do but do you know what i mean it, it's like it's the supremacy of one ruling class mm -hmm. in terms of and i i i, I kind of like that kind of notion here that she kind of understands the difference to separate church and state in a sense basically um, yes exactly that's basically it's what a simple way to say it absolutely. that's what she's yeah. saying here and i really like that moment here because it's just really layered for the character yeah you know because it's like is she isn't she is she isn't she what yeah. is going to happen here uh, so I, I i like that um here yeah absolutely and, and you know it's it's also the reward for her for talking down um Tadayoshi's wife yeah. Uh, as well, Lord Teranaga explains that this will now bring back her life's purpose that was lost um, in whatever slight happened with her father, whatever it was yeah, that happened with exactly. her father. So he is giving her life purpose again. He's giving her life meaning again. So, um, so that's that's quite interesting. So, while it may be something that's very difficult for her to do to be there to translate for John to take on this this role, it gives her life purpose, and it's something that she's not going to turn down. She's obviously had quite a long time of her life not having that purpose so yeah. uh, so interestingly um she is going to take up this offer the other interesting thing about this journey is you know we get introduced to rodriguez yes we do um, you know who talks to the inglese um yeah as they travel to osaka uh, and rodriguez is interesting certainly at least because for one he's played by Nestor Carbonell. Yes, he is yeah. Nestor Carbonell, very very famous Lost fans. Um yeah. one of our one of our favorite actors uh, from Lost. Great to see him here. I mean he, he Definitely. just he just has this energy as he arrives speaking to John Blackthorne who's been kicked around, beaten, battered, yeah, misunderstood. Um but he's also been very venomous and uh, and um full of vitriol for his captors in in uh, this small town and then suddenly meets somebody who can speak to him in his own language or at least in Portuguese translated to English uh, which is an interesting one isn't it a lot of the Portuguese is in English for yeah. us uh, but they are speaking Portuguese to each other because John calls out really early on he's fluent in Portuguese right yes exactly is that right uh, so Rodriguez here, a Spaniard, um, who is a, who is now living in Japan and working directly with uh, Toranaga and his men um but he's trying to give John the lay of the land uh, as, as it as it is. Effectively, just go with it. Um, you know nothing. Everything is connected. You just have to accept what they say. And that's your role here. There is no getting what you want out of this. There's no, I have a plan and I'll... I'll get to my goal. It's just you have to accept what they tell you to do and then you do it. That's yeah, it. Yeah. But I think the really interesting thing as well that kind of frames this really, really well, I think. Um, I loved it. I loved it. It felt really epic mm. as they're coming into um, Osaka's harbour. Uh -huh. You know, and like John Blackthorne, as you say, he's been really bullish Um he feels disrespected, you know, he's being treated like a prisoner. He's like, I won't die in this wretched land. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Rodriguez kind of says, you know, are we the, you know, the hilt of civilization? He mm -hmm. poses that question to him. He says, go, go out on deck and see Asaka uh, and ask who rules a land like this. One who schemes in the open 
or the one you never see. And it, it's really good because um, it, it then cuts between, you know, he carries on and it's cutting. And he says, over here they took that a person has three hearts, one in the mouth for the world to know, so mm -hmm. what people think you are, one in the chest for his friends, yeah. and a secret heart buried deep where no one can find it and must be hidden to survive. And it's, you know that's the person that rules a land like this you know and it's really fascinating yeah. and it kind of with each one of these hearts it cuts to a different person and um, in mm -hmm. terms of i guess making that connection as to um that particular heart yeah i do know that one of the other episodes um in this series mm. uh, entitled the eightfold fence again is referencing a similar kind of thing around okay. what you show publicly mm. what you show to people who are close to you what you show internally or right. what you don't reveal it's a similar kind of thing yeah. um and uh, i just thought this was absolutely superb you yeah. know it's almost like rodriguez is saying forget everything you know mm -hmm. you know um but don't think that you're the hills of civilization exactly when you see how they operate here yes they might not have necessarily the weaponry yeah. that we have been come to renowned for but you know it's it's also a really great way of doing it as kind of you know the osaka harbor uh, and the edge of the city Absolutely. starts to come into view for for um john black yeah or in uh, big lebowski terminology you have no frame of reference here donnie stop walking into conversations you know nothing about yeah exactly <laughs> that's basically exactly. it uh, yeah but you know the other the other piece that is really exciting in the episode that we that we should definitely talk about is that is the shipwreck or the or not the shipwreck but the yeah. uh, the the travel to osaka where they get caught in the storm and john shows his experience as uh, as a pilot on a ship how they got to japan on their own effectively yeah. with pretty uh, pretty poor maps um he's able to tell them how to steer the ship that they're in away and into the storm so that they can ride it out quicker and that everybody's able to survive. He's able to save Rodriguez by throwing some wood overboard, which carries him to shore. But it does carry him quite far down shore, uh, down a cliff. Yeah. And um, and that means that Lord Debashiga has to go and save him. And this is an, an extra special moment um, when seen through the eyes of John, because John yeah. has his first moment of really understanding these people. He hasn't really had conversations, of course. He doesn't understand the words that they're saying. But he has a moment of realization about what's going on between uh, Yabashiga and his men and the decision he's making to be the one to climb down to save uh, Rodriga, who's at the bottom of the cliff. I think that's a, that's a great moment, and it's played really well. It's mostly played through the eyes, not a, not a huge amount of dialogue that each other understands about the other party. But he understands in this moment that Yabushiga doesn't want the slight of a foreigner telling him what to do, that he's going to be the one to save uh, Rodrigue. And then he sees Yabushiga going to commit seppuku because he didn't, he failed in his mission, and suddenly realizes the importance of honor to the Japanese yeah, people. Exactly. It's a, it's a big moment and we'll start to set John on the path of, you know, how he's going to be able to interact with 
this whole new civilization that he knows nothing about. Well, that's it. Those moments of realization. So, at, at, you know, it's the first he bows to him. It's like mm-hmm. that m- first moment of understanding a realization of, of something of this new culture that mm-hmm. he has um, arrived in. Um, and, you know, it, it's picked up with Rodriguez, you know, as well then. And Rodriguez kind of pulls him back, you know, as he says, you know, I don't want to die in this wretched land. Yeah. And Rodriguez is in effect saying it's not a wretched Absolutely. land. Absolutely. Um, you work at your place. by different rules. <laughs> Absolutely. And in a lot of cases, they are as sophisticated, if not more so, these mm-hmm. rules in, in terms of how they are to be played yeah. if you are to be successful here. Exactly. And it was really, really good. Yeah. Um, and I, I love that. I mean, I mean, I was going to say, you know, we talked about the politics of the court. That is almost a similarity as well. Yeah. You know, I, I think of, you know, the court of, uh, the royal court uh-huh. in, in Britain and sort of all those fascinating stories, however much the actual truth is there mm-hmm. now, if it's not recorded, but you know, just the, the scheming, the intrigue, mm-hmm. how, you know, a great king or queen is great because actually they just survive the longest. They're able to play the game. It is the game of throne, all that yeah, kind of, absolutely. all those analogies, whatever. And it's just really, really good because he had, you know, the philosophy around it, the, you know, with things like, uh, sep- seppuku and mm-hmm. so on, you know, just different things, but, you know, equally, you would have, I must take my own life as retribution. Yeah. It's just, it feels alien to John Blackthorne. Absolutely. But at the same time, I guess if you looked at it, studied it, there are certain parallels somewhere. Oh, know? absolutely. Absolutely. I think, again, this is a strength that I've seen so far in Shogun is we're seeing it from the point of view of the Japanese uh, people that are that are main characters in this show we're not seeing it as John Blackthorne reacts to this foreign country as the alien yeah. landing on a on a shore not knowing what's going on i think that's really good we're seeing lots of stuff going on getting a lot more understanding about what the culture is like as opposed to just seeing it from his point of view which i think has been again as i say a good a good strength of the show uh, anything else in the episode that you want to talk about john any, any other notes or any other thoughts that you had um, yeah, no, I think uh, pretty much uh, covered this episode. I was just slightly bit more context on Minowara. Okay. You know, it's one of the great houses of the the feudal monarchy, mm-hmm. um, I guess, or, of um, the different dynasties in Japan. Uh, so, you know, a very powerful clan that really... Um, you know, ha- has lived long in, in the memory uh, of the different rulers in terms of what they've done. And so, uh, you know, this is um, where, you know, the different political interests or the beliefs that have been represented by these different uh, great houses, those connections throughout the lands and associations. So, you know, when you have the, the nanny warning Taranaga that it's his bloodline the Minowara bloodline that puts the fear it just shows you how powerful this house of Minowara was uh, and how uh, it persisted um, through the history here mm-hmm. of Japanese society so it was just it was just to kind of just add that kind of element as to what that um 
that house was you know it goes back to sort of one of the first dynasties in the feudal monarchy Mm. of of japan and so yeah yeah i i just like the idea of the minawara bloodline being a real threat to to this council it's really interesting so again he's very much on the outs uh, versus the other four uh, members of the uh, of 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 the council as well, isn't he? Yeah, so, absolutely. Great stuff, John. I think uh, that's it for episode one. Do you have a rating for this episode, or would you want to give a rating for the episodes for Shogun? Uh, yep, I absolutely loved this first episode of Shogun. Mm. Did exactly what it should do in terms of the introduction of this um, this wash in in the form of uh, John Blackthorn. Uh, from Europe into uh, Japan, all that collision of worlds uh, being mangled together with the politics of Japan and the Osaka royal court. Uh, what's going on there? Love all the different intrigue. I'm really enjoying Lord Yabushiga um, uh-huh. and his nephew. I think they're really good. You know, kind mm-hmm. of these minor characters that you kind of think, oh well, they'll elevate over time, or there's something about them. And um, the I think you know the whole the Catholic Protestant, the traditional way of life for Japanese, their traditional religions of things like Shintoism and next to Christianity, those kind of conflicts. So I would give uh, five boil-in-the-bag Dutchmen out of five. Um, Okay. Yeah, hot stuff. (laughs) Absolutely. Um, I really, really enjoyed this this episode. Excellent. That's it for Chapter 1. We're going to go and take a break and come back with our podcast about Chapter 2, Servants of Two Masters. You'll find that in our feed over at tvpodcastindustries.com and make sure you subscribe to get each of the episodes for the Shogun podcast each week. Speak to you soon.